the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick T Podcast. How you doing? My name is Nick DiGilio, and you are listening to the Nick T Podcast. It's episode number 204. How's everybody doing? It is the Friday before Christmas. I hope everybody's having a lovely holiday season. I'm having a very interesting one. <laughs> um, for those of you who follow me on social media or um, you know, know me, um, there are, are things that are happening with my folks right now, my elderly parents, that are uh, quite challenging. Um, my mom is having uh, some uh, issues, and my father um, currently is in the hospital um, and uh, recovering from having a pacemaker put in and all kinds of fun medical issues and mental issues that are happening with my elderly parents. So it's been a really um, memorable, if you want to use that word, uh, holiday season for me. <laughs> so anyway, I've been trying to keep myself occupied and busy, but it's been very stressful. Uh, I'm an only child, for those of you who are regular listeners to this podcast and back when I was on WGN. Um, and so, you know, uh, we're getting to the point where the, uh, the elderly folks uh, need some help um, in terms of uh, mental uh, help and some medical help and physical help and stuff. And so I've been, uh, that's, that's been my holiday season thus far. So anyway, I hope everybody's having a great uh, Christmas and we're going to talk about really fun stuff here. Uh, and, uh, and there you go. It is episode number 204. Uh, this is the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's the best podcast network in the world. Ed is my main man who does all the great stuff at uh, Radio Misfits. I thank him for another uh, spectacular year working with these guys. Incredible podcasts available at uh, Radio Misfits. Varied and entertaining and informative and funny and very, very cool and mysterious and cool and real life. It's awesome. You can also listen to our 24-hour live streaming service, which is free. It's like radio, only much cooler. Radiomisfits.live. Radiomisfits.live. 24 hours of constant entertainment. Great music from the Unheard Music Show, where you can hear some unsigned bands and some really cool stuff. If you got a band that's unsigned, um, send in your music to radiomisfits.com, and uh, maybe it'll be featured on the 24 streaming service and on the show. And then also uh, on the streaming service are episodes of the great podcasts available at Radio Misfits. You can hear my podcasts. I have two. Uh, daily on RadioMisfits.com, the live streaming service. You can hear this podcast every day at 3 p.m. Central, broadcast live. And you can hear my other podcast, which is about Saturday Night Live. That's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. You can hear that daily at 9 a.m. Central. So those are where you can hear my two podcasts and all the other great podcasts. So make sure you check out the 24-hour free streaming service. It's awesome, RadioMisfits.live. Jason uh, Skaggs, he does all the music and the sounds and the themes and all the really cool stuff, and I want to thank him. Listen, if you want to be a part of this podcast, let's say you would like to advertise on this podcast, and you should because a lot of people listen to this podcast. It'll be beneficial for everybody in the world. So be a sponsor right now. Write us and say, I want to advertise on the Nick D Podcast. Write a note to sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to be a sponsor? You want to advertise with us? Sales at radiomisfits.com. We'll get to you, and we'll get you on. 
Uh, and also, if you just want to be a part of the podcast by leaving a voicemail, we have a voicemail system that's up and running 24-7 exclusively for you. That means you can call any time of the day, any time at night with any message of, uh, of encouragement or, uh, or questions or concerns or contributions or magic megaphone requests, all of that fun stuff. You want me to scream something into the magic megaphone exclusively for you? I'll do it and we'll play it. So, voicemail system 24-7-773-417-6948. Leave your messages there. Drop us an email 24-7, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Coming up on this episode, I uh, got to catch up with my friends Eric Childress and Steve Procopi. Uh, they missed their last visit. They join me every two weeks to talk about brand new movies, and we do movie reviews. That's you know a big part of this show is me reviewing movies. I've been a movie critic for 37 years now. And Eric and Steve join me. We've got a lot of uh, holiday releases to talk about. So we're going to jump in, review a bunch of new movies, and then uh, prepare for the next time we talk after this, where we will talk about the best and worst movies of 2023. But we are going to end the year talking about a bunch of the movies that are out in theaters and streaming right now that you can see. So Eric Childress, Steve Procopi, big time movie reviews coming up. The great Esmeralda Leon is going to join me, and uh, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff, including uh, Christmas specials and uh, dumb warnings and summing up 2023 in a a pretty simple way. Uh, Also, as uh, you may um, have known, well, today is Friday, but on Tuesdays, my dad usually tells a joke. Um, We're taking a break from that because of what's been happening in our uh, personal lives. So my dad uh, will be back soon at some point to tell jokes on the uh, first, uh, uh, you know, on the Tuesday episodes. So, uh, but today is Friday. I hope everybody has a great weekend. I hope it leads into the fantastic holidays uh, coming up for the whole week. Everybody's off for the week. You got Christmas and then you got New Year's and then we're back into the grind in 2024. And hopefully all of the drama and the craziness that's happening in my life with my parents will be past that and uh, moving on to much better and much brighter things. So, hope everybody has a fantastic Christmas. Oh, you know who else wishes you have a fantastic Christmas? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. I know you do. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. She loves Christmas as well. So, anyway, uh, Eric uh, Childress and Steve Procopi are my movie critic buddies and we've got a lot of brand new movies to talk about so that you can play catch up during the holiday break here. Lots of big movies to talk about, and then Esmeralda will be joining me. Uh, But first, I want to tell you about a fantastic book that I loved and that you should check out. You can read it, you can hear it, you can do everything you want with it, and you should buy it. Hey there! Are you tired of that same old, the same old stories? Well, buckle up, because Brian Alaspas Devoured, yeah, that's right, Brian Alaspas Devoured, is about to take you on a wild ride. St. Louis is teetering on the edge with riots, unrest, and the mayor's downright stubborn insistence that the 4th of July must go on. But don't tell that to public safety manager Logan Field. He's got problems bigger than the most overcooked barbecue. With a deadly attack, a missing boy, and mysterious events that make your Aunt Sally's ghost stories look like a fairy tale, something sinister is brewing in the city. Logan's at his wit's end. The only help he can find is a struggling hunter and a professor who's a whiz with ancient evils. It sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? But there's nothing funny about what's awakening in St. Louis. So join the race against time as this unlikely trio faces down an evil as old as time itself. Think your commute's tough? Try saving a city from being, you guessed it, devoured. Brian Alaspa's Devoured will have you laughing and gasping and frantically flipping pages. So grab some popcorn, turn down those lights, and dive into a world where saving the city just might be the craziest 4th of July ever, and trust us, it's more exciting than a sparkler, and the only thing that might get burned is the midnight oil as you read till dawn. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Thrilling, chilling, and the perfect way to spice up your summer. It's available now in paperback for Kindle exclusively through Amazon.com. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. 
congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. When you hear that theme, it means it's time to talk about movies. And uh, I love to talk about movies with my friends Eric Childress and T. Procopi, members of the Chicago Film Critics Association and buddies of mine. And uh, the, uh, the co-reviewers right here on uh, the Nick D podcast. Every uh, couple of weeks we talk about movies. Lots to talk about this week as we're wrapping up the year. And uh, there's a lot of movies in the theaters, a lot of movies streaming right now, and some big ones that we're going to get to. We want to get to that as quickly as possible. But first, let's say hello to Eric and Steve. Hello, Eric. Hello. And hello, Steve. Good morning. Or whatever time of day. Right, whatever it is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eric, tell, tell everybody yes. where they can uh, see your stuff and read your stuff and hear your stuff. Yes. Uh, at the Now Play Network, I have a pair of podcasts, uh, one of the Movie Madness podcasts. Uh, Steve is a regular uh, reviewer on that show, as is Peter Subzinski, where we talk about Blu-rays. Uh, and I have another podcast called The Friendship Dilemma that is uh, co-hosted by uh, Morgan Geyer. We talk about male and female friendships in the movies. Our most recent episode is on The Long Kiss Goodnight. So that is available now. Great movie. Such a great movie. All right. Uh, and Steve, what about uh, you? People can read your reviews and hear you and see you and all that. Yeah, in addition to the Movie Madness podcast with Eric, you can read my reviews and interviews on thirdcoastreview.com. And uh, you can very often meet me at the Music Box Theater where I'm the PR manager. That's right. Lots of stuff happening at the Music Box. Uh, and we will talk about that a little bit more uh, when we when we uh, do our next uh uh, episode because there's that um, Hitchcock and Friends uh, yeah. matinee, matinee series that I definitely want to talk about because you're fucking showing Blowout and I'm going both days. Wait, did you see the message that I sent you about the other thing yeah. we're doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's not till that's not till that's not till March, but yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. I know. I know. No, no. Trust me, I was, <laughs> I was, I, I was dancing with joy for uh, a couple of minutes there. But so more stuff coming up at the music box, really oh, cool. Yeah. But the but really cool thing coming up the Hitchcock and Friends and one of those movies is going to be Blowout in 35 on the big screen and I will cry. So that's it. Um, all right. So uh, we are all members of the Chicago Critics, uh, the Chicago Film Critics Association. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, week and a half, whenever the hell it was, week and a half ago, I don't know what day it is. Uh, <laughs> nope. We handed out some awards for the best movies of the year 2023. Uh, and Eric, uh, you were the host of the whole night. And it was at, uh, it was at uh, Budweiser's Brickhouse Tavern right in Gallagher Way in front of Wrigley Field. And it was lovely, and the food was great, and we had a nice night. Got to hang out and talk to people. It was unfortunate that that was the night we all discovered halfway through the night that Andre Brower passed away, which, made, which yeah. spread like wildfire among the tables in the room. Yeah. Uh, but it was, a, it was a fun night. Uh, tell everybody about uh, the winners uh, in, in, the, in the major categories uh, for the Chicago Film Critics Awards this year. Yeah, uh, I mean, we had it was sort of a kind of a very split kind of season. Uh, a lot of people wanted to honor a, a little bit of give a little bit of everything to as many as they could. So, uh, best picture went to Martin Scorsese's *Killers of the Flower Moon*. It also won uh, adapted screenplay, 
and original score for Robbie Robertson. Mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Nolan won Best Director for Oppenheimer. Uh, it also won uh, Best Cinematography and Best Editing. Uh, Paul Giamatti won Best Actor for The Holdovers. Nick, you got to present I that did. one. I got to present yeah. that one. Very happy about that. And uh, supporting actress went to Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers yeah. as well. Um, right. Best Actress went to Emma Stone for Poor Things, which we're going to be talking about in a moment. Uh, yep. That also won Costume Design and... Is that it? I thought it won something else. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, May-December won Best Original Screenplay, uh, and that also won uh, Best Supporting Actor for Charles Melton, who also won our Most Promising Performer Award. Uh, animated feature went to The Boy and the Heron, Hayao Miyazaki's film. Uh, best documentary went to Kokomo City, which played our Chicago Critics Film Festival this year. Uh, foreign language film went to The Zone of Interest. Uh, but uh, a lot of people were very, I would say, breakthrough filmmaker went to uh, Celine Song for Past Lives, which also mm -hmm. played our festival. Uh, but a lot of people, I think, were most excited that the best use of visual effects went to Godzilla Minus Hell One. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, Godzilla minus one. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to say, to me, that's the biggest surprise of the end of the year was that movie. Like, oh, literally. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a Godzilla movie coming out. Okay, I don't know. Is it going to get released? Is it going to be Is it going to be in one theater for a day? You know, you know how they do the Godzilla thing? Mm -hmm. And I was so yeah. blown away by it. I was like, oh, my God. It's like the best Godzilla movie in decades. Uh, and one of the best movies of the year. What a stunning surprise. Uh, what a gift yeah. for the end of the year, Godzilla Minus One. Man, what a, what a great surprise. So anyway, well, that was fun. It was a fun night, and we, you know, we all got to hang out and talk, and it was cool. It was a good night. Um, and uh, yeah, so Killers of the Flower Moon winning Best Picture. That's cool. I'm all for that. Yeah. That's a terrific movie. So there you go. All right, well, we have a lot of new movies to get to, and so we should do that. Um, and, uh, so a lot of big ones. So let's start off with Wonka, which is the latest from director Paul King, who made the two Paddington movies and other things. Yeah. And of course, based on the, the Roald Dahl character, um, with, uh, my boyfriend, uh, Timothy Chalamet <laughs> playing the title role of a young Willy Wonka in a prequel to all the stories that have been told before. So, uh, Eric, why don't you tell us about, uh, Wonka and we can review that one. Yeah, uh, really briefly, I mean, this is a prequel. This is, you know, how, as the trailers say, how Willie became Wonka. Uh, and we meet uh, Timothy Chalamet, who is uh, more or less an, he's an orphan. Uh, he's making, uh, looking to make his way in the chocolate business. He's got, you know, the best recipes in town, uh, much, uh, in many ways, thanks to his mother who has passed away. Uh, they were poor, and she showed him, you know, everything there was to do uh, how to make chocolate. But, of course, he runs into a capitalist society where there's like a big three uh, group of chocolate makers that uh, try to quash uh, every, you know, every anything he tries to do. They, they, they try to quash, including getting the local police played by, uh, led by Kegel Michael Key uh, to just stop him at every turn. Uh, thankfully, he does have some allies along the way. There's a fellow orphan uh, that he teams up with, uh, and also some uh, an old accountant in the basement of the hotel where he's staying that used to work for uh, one of the big three people. And it's just the story of how the chocolate factory came to be, uh, which 
you know, a lot of people don't, you know, were not looking forward to a prequel to the story, another sort of intellectual property, you know, mine for, you know, whatever capitalist things the studio's got going, obviously. Uh, but the fact that Paul King, who directed both of the Paddington films, which are considered two of the best family films of the past decade, gave me so much hope for this movie. And while I do believe the film do be pretty visually dazzling, uh, and uh, while it's not advertising the, uh, the the commercials too much it is in fact a musical yes uh, and i found the songs uh to be pretty delightful uh you know normally you know songs either you know musicals you know live or die sometimes by the success of their songs uh and while i could not hum them to you now in the moment uh i was actually enjoying them and i think they're actually the best parts of this movie, uh, I think that the, the the musical numbers uh, and the songs and the sort of the joy and the the fun that they be, seem to be having with it are the best stuff in this movie. The stuff in between with the talking and whatnot, I, I was not as interested in. But I was the, the the thing that really bothered me about this story is that it does does it never gets up to the point for us to understand really how Willie became Wonka, like that character that we know from the book and probably more from the Gene Wilder film than the Tim Burton film, uh, is how he became so cynical, how he came to hate children. And, I mean, we get a little bit of the greed part in this, but even by the end of this movie, he's he's still kind of fanciful and whatnot, and we don't really get that sense. And I don't know if this movie either didn't want to tackle that aspect of the character or it never really understood him to begin with. And that was something that hung over this movie while I was watching it like a cloud. Uh, not that I was expecting him to go like some full Darth Vader transformation by the end of this thing, or even uh, the way that uh, Snow becomes the president at the end of the Hunger Games prequel. But I wanted to see some, a little bit of that darkness creep into this story to sort of a little just a little bit of despair and that was something that i think is really missing from them so it's ultimately a kind of a mixed bag for me okay all right steve what do you think of wonka I, I liked it more than i didn't i agree with eric that the music is probably the best part of the film and i the, the thing he's talking about with how it doesn't really leave off where the known like the familiar story begins i i always just assumed that they were thinking they were going to make another movie where we were going to cover that stuff because this movie is already kind of villain heavy i mean there's a lot of bad guys in this and for that reason alone i'm not even sure what the appeal for children or families is going to be because there's just like so much darkness in this and it's it's playful darkness but like sometimes it isn't and um so so that that didn't bother me as much it didn't sort of leave off where we thought it would but um but overall i thought i thought chalamet is really good i'm not sure whimsical chalamet is my favorite chalamet i think i like him when he's dark more dark and brooding but but he's fine like he's perfectly fine here um but yeah it's it is strange that his best friend through this whole movie is a little kid and like wow he really made a made a turn at some point that we that we never really address um and i will also say that, that there isn't i don't think there's a, a ton of i think what people would call nostalgia mining going on here um even the use of one of the songs from the original film i think is really perfectly placed i, I think it makes sense where they drop it in um it doesn't just feel like a just hey let's throw this in here to get everybody excited um it's it's done it actually sort of forwards the story a little bit so i i was more in the camp of really liking it uh but 
with a, just a couple reservations. Okay. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Now, I mean, you know, people who regularly listen to me or know me know that I can't stand the 1971 movie. Um, the Gene Wilder movie. And I know that that's sacrilegious and I know that I'm of the age where it's like, oh, what the hell is wrong with you? Because it was it. And I watched it. I never liked it. I hate the goddamn music. I hate the songs in it. Um, I've always had major issues with it. I prefer the Tim Burton movie. And I know that that's, again, people think I'm insane. I think the Tim Burton movie is a lot better than the original Gene Wilder one uh, and much truer to, uh, to Dahl's um, voice and, and, uh, and stuff. Uh, in this one, yes, I agree with you guys that there isn't like a, it doesn't lead into the darkness that uh, that you know uh, that that Wonka has. Uh, but I think, like you said, Steve, I think there's enough darkness in it already. And uh, and I was not unsatisfied with it. And, and I, I thought it had uh, I thought it had Dahl's uh, um, you know mindset and his sensibility read throughout. I thought the musical numbers, as you guys mentioned, were fantastic. I thought the songs were great. But the cast was amazing, and all the dark stuff is that's in it. It's loaded with dark stuff, and there's like, there's a lot of like, and I, I, I you know, I, I uh, you know, there's a lot of like politically incorrect stuff in it, like a lot of fat jokes and things like that are in this movie. Um, I think Olivia Coleman is particularly inspired uh, as one of the villains in this movie. All of his partners who live down in the basement of the. Um, of the grunge of the grungy hotel where they're being held captive i think are fantastic the production design everything about it um i was i was i'm a huge fan of this movie and of course timothy chalamet is one of my favorite actors on the planet right now i think the guy is incapable of not being charming and lovely and dark and whatever he does he's great at it and i loved him in this so i think it is fitting that paul king directed it it's got his sensibility all over it it's beautifully made and it's consistent with the stuff that he did with the paddington movies i loved wonka i i i actually had a great time watching it so i loved it so uh, there we go. No one mentioned Hugh Grant at all. Yeah, None but of us. yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was very funny. He's, he's very funny. funny. Yeah, he's funny. Yes. He is. He's very funny. And everybody's talking about how, you know, he was miserable when he made it, which is not surprising because Hugh Grant has he's, he's a miserable man now. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is fine with me. I like him. I like miserable old uh, uh, Hugh Grant more than I like, you know, stammering <laughs> British hair guy, you know. So anyway. All right, so that's Wonka, uh, and now let's move on to uh, Poor Things. Steve, tell us about Poor Things. Yeah, this is the latest film from uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, who uh, uh, it's a really based on a, I should say, based on a uh, novel by uh, Alastair Gray, uh, and it's about, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's about uh, like sort of the evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, the young woman, the very first shot of the movie is her committing suicide. So I don't think that's that's a spoiler. But he, she is brought back to life through unorthodox means by a unorthodox scientist, uh, Dr. Goodwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, under her protection, Bella is sort of eager to learn and is rapidly kind of coming back. But initially, her language is very infantile and her even her motions are very, like very much like a child. Um, he hires a med student named Max, uh, played by Rami Youssef, to sort of observe her um, and just track her progress because he's busy, like, being unorthodox again um, in, in his medical practices. So so he kind of and he, of course, because Bella is so beautiful and, and, and he wants to sort of take care of her, uh, Max falls in love with her. But um, kind of soon after that happens, she is. Uh, whisked away or more like she runs off with uh, a Lothario named Duncan uh, played by Mark Ruffalo uh, and they kind of go on a whirlwind uh, trip together that's filled with 
lots of sex and Bella's like sort of burgeoning sexuality happens just before they leave, but he kind of comes in at the right moment and, and uh, opens that part up to her. I think he's a lawyer, right? I think that's right. And so, yeah. uh, but, very, but, but very much like a debauched lawyer anyway. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of go across Europe and, and we should mention at this point that like, this is not, this is a period film, but not really set in this world. Um, it, it, and you'll, you'll get clues of that as the film goes on that certain cities are not the cities that they look like in the late 1800s or early 1900s. They are sort of sometimes a steampunk version of these cities. And so I'm not really sure how to explain it other than just to say like, it's, it's not really science fiction, but it is, um, and and as as the film progresses, um, Bella becomes more sophisticated in her language, in her movements, in her attitudes. Um, you could you could view this film as a as a feminist thing about sort of taking over your sexual identity and um, just owning it. Um, and and you know at some at one point she even goes to work at a brothel, uh, which is. Uh, run by a, a madam played uh, played by Catherine Hunter. Um, and then you get, and then as the, and then later in the film, once, once Bella has sort of, she doesn't really remember anything about her life before the suicide. And there's a reason for that. Um, but I don't want to spoil that part of it, but she um, finds out she was married at one point and that her husband, who, who's played by Christopher Abbott, uh, let's just say once we meet him, we have a better understanding of why she might have jumped off a bridge. So, um, yeah, this this is a wild movie. You would, I guarantee you, you have never seen another film like this. And again, Lanthimos sort of specializes in this. He did The Favorite with Stone a few years ago. He did The Lobster, Dogtooth, Killing with Sacred Deer. This guy does not repeat himself, and he does not care about what other filmmakers are doing. He is of his own world basically and i even if i don't like one of his movies and i'm not sure that's ever happened i'm so happy a guy like this is making movies um emma stone the performance of the year without a doubt um i'm so happy that that she won in our awards thing um and so yeah th this movie poor things is is one of the best films of the year okay um eric where do you stand on it I very much enjoyed it too. Uh, I mean, it just—I mean, everything you can say about Emma Stone's performance—it really just isn't enough. I mean, that—and that was the thing. I've only seen the movie once so far, so I've been—I'm eager to see it again before I make out my uh, end of the year list because uh, I think it runs a little long in the middle. Uh, but so much of it was probably—I was probably just distracted, just watching and observing what Emma was doing with this performance and how she has to progress and. It's like I, I said this to Steve on on our other show that like you know as someone who like has been babysitting my nephew and nieces and whatnot and I get to see them you know five times a week you just you, the difference between like a four year old and a two year old is just staggering you're just like where did you learn to put together sentences and all these kind of things and that's kind of what you're watching in you know, this two hour stretch uh, two plus hour stretch during this movie is watching someone grow up mentally in front of your eyes and you can't even question it because that's just life that's just the way it it, it happens and the way we, we emma is able to channel that into this performance is just incredible uh ruffalo is, is very funny sometimes almost a little much 
for me. He is so over the top as this this baby, <laughs> in, this just man baby in this movie that I'm just like, okay, you dialed back a little bit by the end. Uh, but then we get another man baby later on in the in the movie by Christopher Abbott. Uh, but no, it, it's a very enjoyable, a very original piece of work, uh, stunning to look at at times, and Emma Stone's performance above all. Yeah, I love this movie. Um, it's one of my very favorites of the year. Uh, I'm a fan of Lanthimos' stuff, you know, uh, pretty much all the way. Uh, and I particularly uh, loved, uh, you know, I, I really like his work with uh, with Emma Stone. I loved the favorite, and I know that they've got two movies that are that the, that they're that they've one that they're working on right now, and one that they've got uh, set up to go. So she's going to work with him for the next two movies. Uh, this is the performance of her of her entire career. It's the performance of the year. It's an astonishing work, um, physically, um, just mentally, everything that she's doing. Um, it, it is basically, uh, you know, the growth of uh, a, a, of a baby into a fully functioning adult with uh, with you know politics and with uh, life and uh, and everything in it, and learning how to use her body and discovering sexuality and all that stuff. Um, I I loved everything about this movie. It's really weird. I don't know how the general public is going to react to it. Um, the fact that like it got like 11 Golden Globe nominations to me is amazing that a movie that's this fucking weird. Um, is, I don't know how it's going to be embraced by people who see it. It's long. Uh, and there is that stretch in the, you know, there is that stretch, you know, in the uh, in the brothel uh, that, uh, you know, uh, that people might be going, what's going on here? And it's pretty <laughs> twisted. And there's a lot of weird, like naked bodies and stuff in it. And just like. The sensibility is really off, and the way that Willem Dafoe's character is played, I mean, the burping with the bubbles and all of that shit, there's a lot, and there's weird, like, creatures running around, and, you know, it's kind of inspired a little bit by Frankenstein in that regard, but it goes off into its own territory. But I, I find this to be interesting because, um, you know, three of my favorite movies of the year are this, Birth, Rebirth, and Barbie, and to me, somehow they're all connected. Like, I don't know what it is, but they all seem weirdly connected. Like, I think this is a great companion piece to Barbie, like going out into the real world. <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. this female going out into the real world and discovering things and, you know, changing. Um, and that's one of the themes of Barbie. It's one of the themes of Birth, Rebirth. And those are three of my favorite movies of the year. And um, I love the fact that all three of those movies came out this year and, and, and did something phenomenal. I think Poor Things is one of the absolute best movies of the year. Uh, but really quickly, did you guys hear, because Mark Ruffalo, um, during the making of this movie, was feeling a little bit inadequate because like, he was seeing the kind of work that Willem Dafoe was doing and he was seeing what, um, you know, obviously what Emma Stone is doing because Emma Stone's performance is incredible. Um, but like at one point, um, like... Willem Dafoe was saying, like, you really, man, you really need to get your shit together. He was saying this to Mark Ruffalo. I've been talking about this on the, on the junket circuits and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, you really have to get your shit together because uh, I was talking to Yorgos, and he's, uh, he's got Oscar Isaac in the wings, man. And if you fuck up, <laughs> um, he's bringing Oscar Isaacs in. And, and Ruffalo, who's like, oh, shit. He's like, oh, no, damn it. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buckle down. I'll buckle down. And so uh, Willem Dafoe got Oscar Isaac to show up on the set. <laughs> <laughs> and walk in and go um listen dude i'm replacing you i just wanted to let you know and he ruffalo's like no and they're like no we're fucking around we're kidding you're doing a great job and then yorgos was in on it too so yeah oscar isaac played oh, the big ass awesome. prank on ruffalo who is spectacularly funny in this movie i mean 
great. So I loved every frame of it. And I, I know right. that we all, we all think it's a, a superlative, a, a great film. And I think one of the best yeah. of the year. So, all right. So poor things. Let's move on. Uh, shall we, as we continue to try to knock out a bunch of these things here. Uh, the Iron Claw, which is the true story. I'm a big wrestling fan, a pro wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know these guys. I loved them in the late 70s and early 80s. I followed their careers. Uh, they're the Von Erichs. The Von Erich family is, um, you know, a royal family in the world of professional wrestling, especially in Texas. And uh, they've had a very, very, and this is true, a curse. And it seemed like there was a curse on this family where Basically, I'm not, you know, talking out. Of, I'm not ruining anything, but everybody in the family, the brothers are all dead except for Kevin. He's the only one who's still living. And the movie is about the royal family, professional family of the Von Erichs and how what a incredibly sad story is connected to this. And this is the true story and it's based on it. It's called The Iron Claw. So, um, Eric, tell us about uh, Iron Claw. Yeah, curse or a shitty father? What does what is the story yeah, here? It's a combination um, of two. It's a combination. Yeah, yeah. cursed um, by a shitty father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What, yeah <laughs> however you want to label it. Uh, but this is it's the latest film from Sean Durkin, uh, writer director Sean Durkin, who did Martha Mar- Martha Marcy May Marlene and uh, the film called The Nest with Jude Law a few years ago. And uh, is it's the story of the Von Erich family. Uh, Holt McCallany plays the so called shit the uh, aforementioned shitty father Fritz. Uh, who was a wrestler himself um, and had a, a very big family and uh, basically encouraged uh, his kids to be a part of the wrestling scene. Uh, one of them, uh, pl- uh, Kevin Von Erich, uh, was played by Zach Efron, is kind of the main f- uh, focus of the film um, that is always trying to be uh, the top son uh, of, of the family, but it just can't always seem to get you know just always seem to be missing uh the 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 shot of glory uh in in the ring uh but he sees his other uh brothers begin to sort of rise up uh in the rankings as his father puts it uh david von eric uh who is much better on the mic than kevin is uh begins to get some fame um, you have uh, Carrie Von Erich, played by Jeremy Allen White, who was an aspiring Olympian, but uh, had his dreams cut short when we uh, banned the Olympics in, uh, or we boycott the Olympics back in 1980. Uh, and then he joins uh, the, the wrestling team. Uh, there's also uh, Mike Von Erich, uh, played by Stanley Simons, uh, who is an initially into the wrestling thing. He kind of wants to be a, a musician, uh, but eventually finds his way into it. Uh, and then there's also uh uh Chris von Eric uh who is not in this film we'll get to that in a second yeah uh yeah so yeah so as Nick mentioned I mean this is a family where just everything that could go wrong uh did go wrong uh not the least of which is the way that the father uh you know sort of mentally put in these guys heads that you know they needed to be the best and continue along this family tradition uh they, you know they had a big part of the the wrestling business uh this uh, thing at, at the, that they were doing at the time the uh uswa or whatever it was at the time uh and uh, i you know I'll, I'll just be really blunt about this movie i think that this is a really terrible screenplay uh and i think this movie fails not only the audience, but I think the family as well in telling the story. Uh, I don't think this film rises up to the occasion to uh, give us uh, a, a really great portrait of this family because I think it's spread too thin 
uh, amongst them. Uh, it wants to give all these characters their sort of their moment of tragedy, which is sort of the best way to put it, because there's literally about a 15 minute stretch in this movie where I think where we lose three of these characters at, at once. And I kind of get you know, what uh, Durkin might be trying to do with that and just kind of pile it on all of us at once the way it was piled on in his family, even though it was stretched throughout several years. Uh, there were parts of this movie that I, I was just like, wh where is the, the the real focus? I mean, the, the, the father character is there and he's kind of hangs like a cloud, but I don't think they do a really great job of really showing you entirely how this what this guy was doing to these boys. I don't think Zac Efron's performance uh, is particularly in interesting at all. I think he's just kind of doing cartoonish dumb guy character throughout the, the bulk of this movie. Uh, none of the other brothers, I think, really get an opportunity to shine. Uh, and how this, I mean, there were six brothers. One of them died at a very young age and didn't have to go through a lot of this bullshit. Uh, but the the elimination of the Chris Von Erich character, who was at a, a brief time was a wrestler as well, the 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 explanation that Durkin has been giving on the circuit for excluding this character, saying like, well, it's just too much tragedy for the audience. I mean, imagine if you're like, you know, because there's a moment in this movie where the deceased brothers are, you know, reunite in heaven. I'm, you know, at one point, and I just think of. If they had uh, that character, if that if heaven does exist, and that character and Chris von Erich is up there looking down at this movie, going, "Man, I killed myself, and I can't even get in this fucking movie." Uh, I, this this movie really angered me by by the end of it. Uh, I was unmoved by it. I, I think it's a really bad screenplay. Uh, the acting in the movie, I don't think, is particularly interesting, uh, and I think that the the movie does a failure to the story. Uh, I mean, even the idea that. The, the the father character you're talking about how shitty this father was when he was a, when he was a wrestler he was he played a nazi that was his character yeah. and the idea of connecting that i don't even remember if they even referenced that in the movie at all but the the fact that he played a nazi and he's kind of trying to create the perfect family in a way is never really touched upon. And I think it's just there's so many avenues the screenplay could have found ways to tell the story instead of, I think, ultimately exploit it. Okay. Um, I, the reason why Chris Von Erich was left out is because he's not a Von Erich. He was, uh, he's, he's not related to them. He was not part of the family. Um, and he was brought in like many wrestlers are as part of the storyline. So they said he was a Von Erich when, in fact, in real life, he's not. He wasn't part of the family. He wasn't raised by them. He was a wrestler who worked on a different circuit who they brought in to be a Von Erich as part of that storyline. So he wasn't really a Von Erich. He wasn't part of the family. That's why he was left out. And, that, and a, lot of people, a lot of people are upset that he was left out, but he was not part of the family. He wasn't raised by them. He didn't live with them. He trained with them, and he knew of them, but he was brought in. Um, as, as, many, as many wrestling storylines are, they bring in people who aren't part of it to pretend that they're a different character. So he was never really, in, in the real world, he's not a Von Erich. He was a wrestler that was a performer who was brought in. And the shit that happened to him is also horrible. But that's just part of wrestling in general because the pro wrestling world, uh, you know, you die young and it's a very fucked up world. And, um, but anyway, I wanted, to, I wanted to clarify that, that, you know, he indeed was not part of the family. So whether that makes it better or worse, I don't, I don't know. But I just wanted to let everybody know that he... He was so not. he wasn't Fritz's son. No. No, he was a he was a Chris von Erich was a guy who worked wrestling, and they brought him in to be part of the storyline when some of the von Erichs were dropping 
out. They brought him in to pretend to be a Von Erich. So he was not raised by Fritz. He was not, no. There's some really bad research out there then. Okay. <laughs> I mean, saying, I, mean I, I didn't just, do any research. Yeah. I, I didn't do any research because, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, been watching, I've been watching the Von Erich since the 70s. So I know yeah. that when they brought Chris in, now I don't know whether, maybe he, I don't know. Okay, I did not do research whether he was a son from another marriage or something like that. But as far as I know, he was just a wrestler who was brought in to pretend to be a Von Erich because he resembled the family. And mm. at that time, you wanted to keep as many Von Erichs in the storyline as possible, even though they were dropping like flies. In the world of professional wrestling, you want to continue to you know, make money. So they brought in an actor slash wrestler to pretend to be a Von Erich, and that was Chris. Hmm. So anyway. Okay. All right. Uh, Steve, what did you think of uh, Iron Claw? Yeah, I, I will also add that the way that Chris went out, uh, it would have been repetitive in this film because yeah, well, yeah, we are. I mean, it's just we don't need. Oh, I honestly don't need another one of those in this right, movie. You know, and, so. uh, and ultimately, though, I, I do want to mention this. Be you know, anytime you're going to make a serious movie about pro wrestling, it's going to end in fucking tragedy because, like, wow. you know, I've been I've been a fan of pro wrestling my entire life, and I know you guys know this. Fucking wrestlers die young, man. And yeah. it's a really fucked up lifestyle. And, you know, you end up doing a lot of drugs and you end up doing all this. You're away from your family. You do a lot of booze. Um, and there's, you know, that, that whole era, you know, where everybody was on roids and fucking up their body. I mean, people die young in wrestling. If you were to take a list of wrestlers who passed away before their prime or wrestlers who died before they were 60, it's astonishing. So the pro wrestling world in general, when you make a movie about pro wrestling and you want to do it seriously and examine it, inevitably it's going to end up tragic because that's just the fucking world that it is. So, you know, I think that that kind of goes with the territory when they made this movie and they just happen to be making the most tragic story in pro wrestling history. That's all, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, No, no, it's okay. So I was going to say, and I would, I would actually throw, I mean, as much as we can talk about how bad a father Fritz was, the mom was no, was no joy either. And she's very often sort of just, pushing off kids her kids who are coming to her for like genuine help or advice and she's like yeah talk to your dad talk to your brothers like it's like jesus woman like <laughs> these are these are your kids and more she said more a tyranny plays her with i think a, like a, just a perfect blend of like sort of warmth and then iciness at, at certain times that you're not expecting it um anyway so i i will say i no i i i really like this movie and i honestly think like i'm sure that people who are wrestling fans are going to, are going to appreciate a lot of what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this film has to appeal to beyond that audience. And I am beyond that audience. So, and I, and I was like, I thought Durkin not only handled the very sort of human story of this family with a combination of like empathy and hard truths. But I think also we didn't even talk about like the staging and shooting of these wrestling matches are yeah. pretty exceptional Absolutely. and reveal that even though the outcome of these matches may be scripted to some degree, the wrestling itself is very real and very painful and often bloody. Yep. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm sure those, you know, like I said, the people who know this family are going to appreciate the lengths that the filmmaker goes to to kind of capture the authenticity of this world. But like as a piece of art, I think it needs to draw like it needs to draw in the rest of us. And and it certainly accomplishes this thanks to like and I think I think Efron's um, performance is really nuanced, especially once he meets his future wife, Pam play who's played by Lily James. Yeah. I think she's kind of underutilized, but also manages to stand out somehow. And as soon as those two become married, 
she kind of gives Kevin this love and support and stability that he never had at home, at least in the way that he would have liked it, I think. And I think at a, I honestly think it accounts for him being the only surviving Von Erich to, to date. Like, so um, yeah. I think he just, he got to like see a better life with her and it just, it just made everything different. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I would have revealed that one little bit at the end of the movie there, Eric, but cause I think that's a, that no. movie, that, that, that moment should not have worked and it does on paper. Yeah. It shouldn't yeah, have worked. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was like stunned yeah. at how much that moved me at the end. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think like, yeah, it's, it's a relentless portrayal of a sports family legacy that is uh, shameful sometimes and tragic as it is immortal. And I'm, I'm uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, I, I didn't know any of the way these people died. So I, again, like I'm, I'm not going to talk about, about that, but I think the reveals are more, are, are more, all the more impactful if you don't see them coming yeah. like most punches to the gut. If you don't see it coming, it hurts worse. So yeah. Uh, yeah so, the, and we should mention this film is going to, it's going to open everywhere, but it's also going to be open at the music box. So uh, yeah. let me throw that plug in there. Okay. Uh, I, okay. It's hard for me to be, you know, um, objective about this because I'm a wrestling fanatic and I've been a pro wrestling <laughs> fan for my entire life. And the Von Erichs were among the most legendary wrestlers, particularly Carrie, uh, the dude that, uh, the guy from the bear uh, who plays him uh, in the movie. He was, uh, he was, he was the most, I mean, he was the most, he, everybody loved him and what happened to him, um, you know, and how that was kept. See, there's at one point in the movie, there's, there's an accident that happens and he lost, and loses his foot and tries to continue wrestling. And at one point, nobody knows that, that he had lost his foot. So I will say this on, on a technical level, they get everything right in terms of wrestling. Chavo Guerrero, who is a fantastic pro wrestler who's been in the business for years. He choreographed and supervised all the wrestling in this. This guy's a fucking pro. Chavo Guerrero is one of the best wrestlers ever. And he's the one who put together all the scenes. A lot of them are shot in very long takes. So these are real actors who are doing real moves that are fucking hard to do in the ring. And as far as authenticity in the world of pro wrestling, this movie nails it 100%. There are some questionable things if you're a wrestling fan. I wasn't crazy about the guy who played Ric Flair. Um, I, you know, um, you know, uh, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to, this is not the guy I thought should play. And Ric Flair has a, you know, has a huge storyline uh, with Kevin and the Von Erichs throughout their, in, in their career. And he's a part of it. So I didn't like that. Some people aren't crazy about uh, Jeremy uh, Allen playing uh, Carrie. They thought he was miscast. Um, so like wrestling fans are going to nitpick this thing to death. Um, and, and oddly at the screening that we were at, uh, Steve, CM Punk was there mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I walked up to him. I've, I've had him on my show a couple of times. I walked up to him and I said, do you like the movie? He's like, yeah, very much. And he liked it. And I've talked to other pro wrestling people like the Manson brothers and things like that. Uh, everybody really, really in terms of portraying pro wrestling is how screwed up it is. It does it authentically and it does it well. It's a tragic story, like a like a like a Shakespearean uh, uh, tragic story, and I think it's told wonderfully, and I think the acting is great. Uh, Sean Durkin, who I think is a terrific uh, director, I also like the nest, and he directed six amazing episodes of Dead Ringers uh, series mm-hmm. with uh, Rachel Weisz. Uh, he's, I think, he's the shit. I think he's the real deal, and. Um, and, 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 and a lot of people, you know, Eric, you mentioned it. A lot of people are angry that they didn't have Chris in it. Um, and a lot of people think it's incomplete because of that. And, uh, you know, and, and in the wrestling, you know, in the, in, on the wrestling websites and, you know, among the talks on the Internet and all that stuff, that's a, that's a big thing. It's a big thing for a lot of people. A lot of wrestling fans are like, dude, that's, how, how can you not include Chris? But the, the, the reason why is because he wasn't, they, they're saying, at least Durkin is saying, is because he wasn't really part of the family and he wasn't really a family member. So that's why they cut that whole thing out. 
So. I just want to clarify the reason I even know about Chris is not because of I'm mean, sort of my entry point into Here. the story years yeah. ago. I mean, I, I mean, I knew of the Von Eric wrestling family because I'm like, hey, their name is Von Eric. Right. Uh, so I'm like, thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I got you. I got you. Uh, you know, so I kind of knew that, you know, in, in that period where one of those yeah. periods where I got into wrestling yeah. for a little bit. Well, they did. You know, there's this thing called Dark Side of the Ring, which is a which is a show on Vice. It's a tremendous sure. show. Uh, and they mm-hmm. did a Von Erichs thing. And Chris is mentioned in that, but it's made clear that he wasn't part of the family. Um, and I think Sean Durkin, in an effort to probably maybe streamline the story and not, you know, not try to teach a, a wrestling lesson, you know what I mean? Like in the middle, this is what happens when, you're, when you have to keep a storyline going. That may have been extraneous and maybe took away from the power of what was happening inside the family. So I think that was the choice that he made. So anyway, but I'm a fan. I think I think it's a great movie. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a real big fan of it. I'm sorry you didn't uh, you didn't uh, you, you didn't like it, Eric. I'm sorry it, it offended yeah, you. Me too. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, that was Iron Claw. Uh, we're moving on to Ferrari right now. So uh, this is Michael Mann's <laughs> new movie with Adam Driver, uh, Penelope Cruz, and uh, and a very uh, weirdly colored haired uh, Patrick Dempsey. Uh, so let's talk <laughs> with Ferrari. Steve, tell us about Michael Mann's Ferrari. Basically, basically the same story as Iron Claw. Uh, no, it's yeah, uh, yeah, a. Yeah. So it's a set. set this is, it is. It is not a traditional biopic in that it's set primarily in the summer of 1957. Um, it was a year of a, certainly a time of transition and reflection uh, for for uh, Enzo Ferrari's played by Adam Driver. Uh, his, his company was on the verge of bankruptcy. His marriage to Laura, who's played by Penelope Cruz has been on shaky ground ever since the death of their son a year earlier from an illness. And his mistress, Lena, who's played by Shailene Woodley, is pressuring him to publicly acknowledge their son, uh, Piero, and and give him the Ferrari name. Uh, All the while, he's struggling to prepare his driving team, which, yes, does include very weird (laughs) performance by Patrick Dempsey. (laughs) Also, Jack O'Connell's in there. But anyway... um, that he's, he's, you know, there for this very dangerous thousand mile race across Italy called the Mille uh, Maglia. And the only way his company cannot go broke is if the team wins the race and the world starts buying more of his cars. Um, oftentimes movies about business can be, I think, deadly dull. Uh, but when it's tied to the sort of life and death race, I think it's a lot easier for us to stay locked in. Um uh, Ferrari's, I think, greatest achievement are the racing sequences shot uh, with impeccable heart racing skill by cinematographer uh, Eric Messerschmidt, who also did The Killer earlier this year, not that long ago, um, and made made it's made to feel terrifying and teeth rattling, uh, as they likely were in real life, and and combining the visuals with the knowledge that these cars were in no way death proof cages the way they are now, only makes it even more nerve wracking. Um, the film does not shy away from the dangers of Formula One racing. And there's, I mean, the thing, pe- if you know you hate this movie, the thing people are going to talk about at the end is this crash scene that's near the end of the movie that uh, will, long after the film is forgotten, that sequence is going to be remembered, I think. Anyway, I think where the film falters is when it starts to involve the members of the racing team and their various strategies in this race. And, and it, it kind of, it's kind of a kick to see people like Patrick Dempsey and Jack O'Connell in these mostly thankless roles, but and, and actually make an impression still just by being themselves. Uh, there's a weird little through line about this bastard son 
trying to get Enzo to get an autograph of one of the drivers. And so, of course, we know that guy's going <laughs> to die horribly uh, fairly soon after. Um, the, the, the film perhaps has a, a has a few too many foreshadowed moments like that. And while it doesn't ruin the movie, it, it gets kind of tiresome. Um, it, the, the film is basically a waiting game, also sort of off the track for Laura to discover her husband's second family and be crushed by the fact that he has another son after they've lost their son. Even, even before that moment, though, like Laura is portrayed uh, as unstable due to her grief and willing to sacrifice the company just to hurt her husband. Um, that being said, I think I, I don't think anyone's going to argue like Penelope Cruz is the best thing in this movie. And I think she she kind of reels back in Laura to a certain degree and makes her something more than just cruel and vindictive. She's a woman like it's very much in pain and suffering deeply and lashing out as a result. Um, you know, I, I'm of a belief that Michael Mann is the director is one of our, our true living visual masters and, and, and Ferrari fits into that. Um, I, I think his ability to turn his actors into the embodiment of cool is also something that he does. But I think this movie needed a little more than that. Um, I think sometimes he sacrifices a more in-depth look at a character for the sake of style and polish. Uh, Driver is good enough here to pull off that Ferrari cool while still giving us bits of his soul. But uh, they, they definitely aren't in the screenplay. And that that helps the movie, but it doesn't necessarily save it. Um so anyway, I, I mean, you know, thank God for the badass racing scenes. I'm I'm a little mixed on this one, but yeah, okay. that's that's about as much as I'm willing to say. Okay, Eric, <laughs> Eric uh, Ferrari, Ferrari. Yeah, it's a movie. Yeah. Um and yeah, yeah and, uh, <laughs> and I'm of the opinion, uh, somewhat controversial opinion for some, that Michael Mann has not made a good movie since The Insider. Yeah, and I include Collateral on that list. Okay. Uh, and and I think that this continues this streak. Uh, you know, I'm not a gearhead by any. I'm furthest away from a gearhead as you yep. can possibly imagine. Um, you know, anytime I hear vroom vroom, it's just a symbol of male machismo that I'm just not a part of. Yep. Uh, but. Yeah, but I do agree with Steve that the best scenes in this movie. Uh, I mean, there's two things about this movie. One, the wrestling, the the wrestling scenes. Here we go. Uh, the, the the racing scenes um, are are are, real, are very well shot, particularly towards the end, that final race. Yep. Uh, yep. The, it, it's very well shot. Uh, I don't necessarily say exciting because I didn't really care about what the outcome of it was, but but they are very well shot. Uh, uh, the other thing that is, I think, uh, rises above uh, the level of this movie is Penelope Cruz, as yeah. Steve said. I think yeah. she is by far the by best far. thing about this movie. By and far. maybe it's just because, I don't know, maybe ever since I've seen Priscilla and I've seen like this and Napoleon, I keep thinking, like I would rather see the movie about the woman in these relationships yeah. than the man at the center of them. You know, I would much rather hear about Josephine than Napoleon. I'd, and yeah. every time Penelope Cruz is on screen, you just leave like her face is ready to explode. Yeah. You <laughs> know, and it's just, and, and she's can, the way she contains it is just a, 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 a fire, a, a fury performance. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and it just, and I'm like, I want to be with, stay with her. Stay with her. I don't now get rid of Shailene Woodley. I don't want to hear. Yeah, go man. back to Penelope Cruz. I don't care about Shailene Woodley and the bastard child, yeah. uh, and his toy and all that shit. Uh, and, and you know, Driver's fine in the movie, but I don't care about the story. I don't think that they do anything interesting with this character that who's trying to maintain this legacy. I'm like, who gives a shit? 
Honestly, yeah. you know, it's it's a fucking car. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so uh, yeah, so I'm I'm coming from a place where I just like as much as you care about wrestling, yeah. uh, Nick, yeah. I care as little about cars. I got gotcha. you. Okay. So and and it's I mean, but you know, you tell a good story. I'm interested, and I don't think this is a good story, and I don't think it's very well told. Yeah, I'm uh, Eric. I, I'm just gonna say I agree with you 100. <laughs> percent Okay. <laughs> I do want I do want to say the crash scene is pretty astonishing, and I didn't know I don't know any of the history. So when it happened, I went no. Whoa! And I know that some people yeah. know the history of what happened. I had no idea uh, that it was gonna go there. Um, and the racing scenes are fine, and I and and like you, Eric, I run very hot and very cold on Michael Mann. Um, mm-hmm. mostly cold. Like I don't care, you know. Um, but uh, Penelope Cruz is unbelievable in this movie. She is by far the best thing in the movie, and the Italian actress who plays. Uh, Ferrari's mother fucking rules. So, mm-hmm. the, the, and they, they've okay. got two scenes together. And I remember I was, uh, I was watching this movie with Julie. We were watching it. And, and like, there's that scene where she walks into the house and she drops the groceries and Penelope Cruz drops the groceries and Ferrari's mother comes in. I'm like, all right, here we go. Now we got a scene between <laughs> these two. Now here's something. You know what I mean? And, and here's a movie full of handsome guys driving fast cars. And I wanted to see two women in the kitchen yell at each other. That's what I wanted more of. <laughs> So, um, no, I am not, I'm not a big Michael Mann guy. I couldn't care less about Ferrari or his cars or any of that shit. I thought, uh, you know, Adam Driver can add, uh, you know, um, a more mediocre uh, accent to his list of mediocre accents that he's done in movies. Uh, but meanwhile, Penelope Cruz steals the whole fucking show. That's it. So, not a fan. All right. Uh, well, all right, let's do this. Let's do this one as quickly as we can, um, yeah. uh, Eric. This is Maestro. It's uh, director Bradley Cooper, star Bradley Cooper, co-writer Bradley Cooper's follow-up to A Star is Born, where he plays yeah. Leonard Bernstein. So talk a little bit about Maestro, and then let's quickly review this thing. Okay, let's quickly to set the story up. I mean, Bradley Cooper plays Leonard Bernstein, and we get the flashback to uh, his rise uh, you know, through the New York Philharmonic uh, and how he was, you know, his personal life and whatnot uh he was uh you know he was a homosexual and but he ends up meeting the this woman played uh by carrie mulligan and uh, an actress uh, named felicia montalegra uh at a party uh and they begin a relationship themselves and have children and and get married as a result of that um his rise to fame continues uh doing broadway musicals and operas and whatnot but the focus of this story is mostly on this marriage and this relationship uh, between these two characters uh which ultimately leads into you know whether or not his uh his uh his uh uh, personal life is being a homosexual is going to be revealed. Uh, something that he hides from his family, uh, particularly uh, his older daughter, played by uh, Maya Hawke. Uh, and it's, I mean, and that's you know, when I come to see a movie about a legendary conductor, I want to see the movie about their marriage. Uh, and that's all I feel I got out of this entire movie. I mean, for, I mean, to start off, I mean, Bradley Cooper, who directed and co-wrote the screenplay, uh, this is an example you can see in the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie of someone who is just go directing. He is yeah. directing, man. Yeah. He is yeah. going, yeah. he's doing cuts and yeah. angles and all kinds of stuff. And just like, okay, good for you, I guess. But it's, it becomes, it's such a overkill in telling a story that ultimately is not going to rise to the level of the kind of the histrionics of the music at times. Uh, I mean, the, the, the soundtrack is wall-to-wall Leonard Bernstein uh, compositions. And, you know, but by the time the movie kind of settles down into the story, 
of this relationship where a lot of scenes are set on their their country house or whatnot uh i was just like this is a story about the music right and you know by by the end of it I, I didn't learn. I don't know if I felt I learned anything about Leonard Bernstein. I learned a lot more about this guy from sitting across a radio booth with our late good friend Sergio Mims yeah. than I did about this movie. And by the end of it, I, I I was sad, not because of this story and how I wasted two hours with it, but I'm missing our friend who I would have loved to have hear what he thought of this movie he, because this movie was he, in production before he he would he would he would have so. ripped this fucking movie to shreds. He would have okay. ripped it to shreds. I guarantee you, Sergio would have okay. ripped this movie to shreds. Anyway, go ahead. Yep. Oh, okay, Steve, you go on. All right, no, Steve, that's, go I, that's all I got. It's okay, not good. Right. Steve, go ahead. I mean, I, I want to say two things. One is that, like, I've seen Bradley Cooper in a lot of talk shows lately talk about how many years he he's been working on this movie, and I do it. And when you watch it, you're like, there is such a thing as going too deep in the weeds. Like, I think he knows it so well that he doesn't inform us of things that he just thinks is common knowledge yeah there are scenes like early on with jerome robbins or aaron copeland he just calls this guy jerry a couple times and we're supposed to know that like i mean maybe from contextual clues but again if you don't know that much about west side story how the hell are you going to know that like what's going on there and it's just yeah. like it's frustrating um and and i say that as someone who who understood it and still like how right. is anyone who doesn't know that gonna understand this Okay, so I and also so I think, but just in terms of the performance, I think he he got so lost in mimicking Bernstein's voice and mannerisms, he forgot to act. I think this is a bad performance I agree. on his part. I agree. But as bad as he is, I think Carrie Mulligan is fantastic in this movie. Like I think she carries the film, and when she's not on the screen, with a couple of exceptions, I think the film just just dives and. So now that being said, I think the stuff later on with the older Bernstein, with all the the great prosthetics by Kazuhiro, like that's that that stuff I was more into, and especially the scene the the nineteen seventy three performance of of Mahler's Resurrection Symphony, which is largely like a six minute almost unbroken yeah. sequence with him conducting. I'm like, there, that's he's like his hair is flailing and he's waving his baton. I'm like. That's yeah. exactly what I wish we had more of in this right. movie. Like explaining how he became that guy. Yeah. Um, and I and I also like that they don't. There's no original score in this film. It's just yeah. bits of Bernstein's own work. I think that's smart. Yep. I wish it. Mm -hmm. yeah, I wish it had been a better movie. I do think. I'm sure this will endear this movie to you even more, Nick. I think it covers a lot of the same t territory as Tar. I was just going to mention. I was going like, to mention. Trust me, I was going to mention that when I was talking. It, about it. It, it, like, <laughs> it's it's about looking at like excusing bad behavior by someone just because they're deemed a great artist. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I mean it's and I and I say that as a huge fan of Tar, but this this movie is not Tar. This movie is not. Yeah, I, I I was found it more and more frustrating as the, like the the gay stuff is the least shocking stuff about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it is it is it is how much he kind of fails this guy. So, yeah, yeah, anyway. I agree. I no, I I mean I think it's a terrible movie. I and I think it's uh, you know and and this is coming from someone who I love the Star Is Born. And I sure. went in thinking, oh, this we guy all is liked gonna... it. Yeah, I thought yeah. A Star Is Born was great. I thought he was terrific in it. And everything that he did right in A Star Is Born, he fucking does wrong in this. Everything gives before I saw a star is born. I thought I was going to see a movie like this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I mm -hmm. saw a star is born. And I went, Oh, and then when I heard about my show, I'm like, okay, this could be cool. Literally 15 minutes in, like you said, Eric, I'm like, okay, dude, the, what do you, what do you, how many crane shots are you going to do here? What is this? Oh, you're gonna, <laughs> the camera's going to whip down. It's going to be one long take and all this other bullshit. And, 
all of this. Yeah, you, like you said, quote unquote, I'm going to direct and I'm going to give a tour de force performance and it's going to be even more, more impressive than A Star is Born and all this. It was all just a bunch of horse shit. And uh, although there are elements, like, like, you, like you said, I love the fact that there is no score and it's just Bernstein's music. I like that. Uh, there are sequences in the movie that I think are okay, but not great. Carrie Mulligan, I think, is fine. I think Carrie Mulligan could give a performance like this in her fucking sleep. You know what I mean? Like Because it's not really a great script. She, you know, elevates the material, which is not good. Sure. But, she can, but she can do that in, a, in her sleep, you know? So there's no challenge for her to do this kind of role. And he's lousy in it. Um, and there are laughable moments in it. I mean, there's, a, there's at one point they actually do do a music cue with It's the End of the World as we know it. You know, I'm like, come <laughs> on, man. Yeah. And there's a long yeah. sequence where Tears for Fears is playing and he's got the, and it's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going? And, and, um, and I like to hear Tears for Fears in a movie, but I'm like, yeah. what? Um, so I didn't care about any of this stuff. I thought it was a massive ego trip for, for, uh, for Bradley Cooper and everything that he did right. And he did a lot right in A Star is Born. He does wrong in this. Everything that was good. And it's the second year in a row where I've included a movie that everybody else loves uh, on my top 10 word or on my, in my top 20 worst list. That's about a conductor. It's the I didn't know that this was going to happen, <laughs> but I hated Tar and I hate this. So, and it's not like I dislike movies about conductors, you know. Um, I'm trying to think Maybe of one. Maybe you of them. do. Maybe I do. I don't know. I liked on. I liked on. I liked on. Faithfully yours. There's a conductor in that. So uh, you like yeah. Polar Express. I like Polar. I like Polar Express. Sure. Nice. Sure. So anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, so those are a lot of movies. There are still a bunch of them out there. Every once in you know, like Aquaman is out there. If you want to, lo- if you want to see that, there's also. <laughs> Uh, a terrible musical version of The Color Purple that's coming out on Christmas Day. There's uh, the romantic anyone comedy. Anyone but with, you? Anyone but you, the romantic <laughs> comedy. Uh, so there's other stuff out there. There's actually a, a, a pretty solid film called American Fiction, uh, which is a pretty, a pretty That's very film. good. Uh, yes. and, yeah. and that's got a great performance by uh, Jeffrey Wright in it. Uh, but those are the big ones. And the next time we uh, talk in a couple of weeks, we will unveil our best and worst movies of 2023. Cool? Yeah. All awesome. Right. Sounds All good. All right, you guys, um, have a fantastic Christmas, and I will talk to you uh, after into the new year when we talk about our best and worst. All right, Sounds good. Too, Merry Christmas. All right, guys, take care, man. See you. Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, they are great individuals and cool guys. And you know who else is great? Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Oh, Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some asthma. Love me some asthma. Esmeralda Leon. The dulcet tones of Jason Skaggs' wonderful vocals <laughs> on that fantastic uh, theme song for Esmeralda Leon, and we welcome Esmeralda to the podcast. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Excited for uh, this weekend. It's the holiday weekend. Christmas is on Monday. This is the Friday yes. before Christmas. Any special crazy plans happening or... Uh, no, I'm just going home to see the parents, mm-hmm. see family, yeah, and hanging out. Hanging out in Joliet. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's nothing quite like Christmas in Joliet, is there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the 
place to be. It's the place. When, when I think when I think Christmas, I think Joliet. That's exactly. What oh, of course, <laughs> it's Christmas Central. Did you not know that? I was next aware. to next, the North Pole. It's Joliet. Next, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Santa has often said, if I didn't live in the North Pole, I'd live in Joliet. I remember him saying mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, that, was, uh, mm-hmm. that almost sounded like Orion Samuelson as Christmas. That was, as, as, didn't it? <laughs> if I didn't live they're, in uh, yeah, yeah. They're related, so you know. They are. Oh, well, of course. I mean, I've often thought that the great Orion Samuelson and and uh, and and and, and uh, Santa Claus are this one and the same. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all there yeah. is to it. Did, did you guys, you know, in, in, in uh, Joliet when you were a kid, when you guys were growing up or anything like that, were there any neighbors or any special parts of Joliet or the town where they would have the crazy candy cane lane where the houses would be overly decorated or, you know, crazy lights and stuff like that? Um, If there was, I didn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> If that existed, I didn't. I you wasn't didn't see it. aware of yeah. it. No, yeah. you didn't see it. Okay. Your parents ever go nuts uh, decorating? Did they ever pull a Chevy Chase from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and go nuts decorating the house or anything like that? No, no, yeah. we're not yeah. that. Christmas is not about that whatsoever. It's about Jesus. It's about. Je- <laughs> it's all know. about Jesus. Okay. It's a. It's a. It's a religious holiday. It's not. It's, it's happy. Uh, it's happy birthday, Jesus, is what it is. Yeah, Santa yeah. Claus ain't a thing at my house. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus is. Does Jesus bring presents? Does he come and go? Hey, here you go. Or well, does... for most, for some people, it's supposed to be. So there's the the few days after the three yeah. kings. Yeah. Right. Um, so they bring stuff and then some people do say like, what did baby Jesus bring you? <laughs> I, what's he going to do? What, myrrh? Cause that's all he's got, right? He's got frankincense. Right? He's got myrrh. I mean, what? He is just a baby. He's a baby. He's going to bring you a duty. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bring you a, he's going to bring you a holy duty. That's what. <laughs> right. And sleepless nights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they will be lovely and holy, even though, you know, it's a, ba- he's a baby. Uh, everything he does, you know, the, the poo will smell like glade. You know what I mean? It'll be. That's, that's Angels happening. will sing every time. <laughs> every time he, every time the baby poops. Oh, you know, it's, a, it's <laughs> that's how you know. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly how you know. Uh, uh-oh, wait a minute now. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and Hi, I Carrie. love Nick's show. Oh, she's got a t-shirt that says Happy Birthday Jesus on it right now. There you go. All right. Oh, how lovely. Hi, I'm Carrie right, Russell, Carrie. and I Thanks love right. Nick's show. Right. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Those guys are, are, are ready to celebrate. Those party oh, of guys course. ready to celebrate for uh, for Christmas. Okay, they've been ready. Yeah, they're all, they're, they're ready all year. Christmas it's Christmas all year round with the yeah guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all set. Mm-hmm. They're all set. All I always right. imagine it's every holiday just wrapped up into one. Yeah. Every day for them. Every day, every day is a holiday yeah. for those guys. Yeah. 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 So uh, now it's also this season. <gasps> McRib is back. And I have to say, this might be the first time ever, Esmeralda, during the holiday slash McRib season, I have not had one McRib. Oh wow! Yeah, that's how that's how screwed up stuff has been in my life for the <laughs> for the past <laughs> few weeks, dealing with what's going on with my folks and uh, all that crazy shit. Um, I haven't even stopped off to slam a McRib down my throat. Get a is- McRib. I'm gonna have to. It'll, maybe it'll get me into the Christmas spirit and 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 help me help me through the stress that I'm that I'm going through right now. I think a McRib will help. I think I will. I think on my way home, 
because I will be visiting uh, the hospital today. Uh, I think on my way home from the hospital, I'll stop at the I'll stop at the McDonald's and, and slam a McRib. I think it might help me. I think it might help me get into there. The you go. Here. So I'm sure. Yeah, the McRib will appreciate it. Yeah. Now, have you ever have you had? We've talked about this before. You've had a McRib, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had one this season? Have you had any McRibs this season? I have not had one this season, no. Okay. All right. I think they're going to be, I think the new year, they're going to go away. Remember last year, they were like, that's it forever. They're never coming back. Remember when they did that? Right. Well, that's, you know, that's how they get you. Because then they go, oh, no, we're back. Yeah. Never so mind. then you you buy like 60 of them when you only wanted three because you're like, oh, man, they're never going to, this is the last mm-hmm. chance I'll ever have in my entire life to eat a McRib. I better get 100 of them. You know, and then the next year they're like, "Oh no, nope, we're here just joking." <laughs> we have an over, we have an overabundance of frozen processed meat that looks like it has ribs. So there you, there you go. <laughs> so now they do. You know, have you ever seen the banquet? You know, you know how they have the banquet uh, frozen uh, meals that like a like they're like a buck ninety nine or something. They're they're you know they're frozen just little frozen dinners, and uh, mm-hmm. they have one they have one where they have like a McRib in it where it looks like a McRib. Um, interesting yeah and so i buy that every once in a while i'm like man if i if it's not mcrib season i got a couple of those banquet right frozen dinners. yeah i mean you kind of gotta yeah you gotta feed the beast exactly man <laughs> exactly you know uh you know you gotta if you get the shakes you get a little bit of the shakes you know you need to get yourself a mcrib man go to the freezer and get that <laughs> the banquet i think it's called the bank i think it's called the but well i can go to the fridge right now because i got one in the fridge <laughs> the freezer right now but i think it's like the banquet barbecue meal and mm-hmm. it's it is a patty with fake bones. It looks exactly like they took a McRib and slapped it into the into a frozen dinner, and that's exactly what they did. So, and they taste they taste similar to a McRib, so it'll tie over during those years. During those and times. is it so? Is it a sandwich or is it just no. the knife and fork? Okay. It's like a little yeah. And so do you like, get do you get bread? You get a bun? No, no, I no. I I try I try to make life I, I try to make life as as lazy and easy as possible. So no, I just get a knife and fork, and, <laughs> right. and it comes with I think it's like corn and potatoes are in the other compartments. You know, frozen standard frozen dinner stuff. But the but the main compartment where your meat or your protein is, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a processed beef meat pork patty with uh, with ribs in it, fake ribs. So yeah, uh, interesting. So that'll tide you over. I have had a couple of those. So basically, I've had a McRib, but the imitation McRib, not the real one from McDonald's. Right. So and that's anyway. you know, come on. Yeah, the real one is is out there right now. It's out there right now. I know for I your eating pleasure. I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about dumb, uh, we still have so many of those dumb warnings, Esmeralda. Um, mm-hmm. and by the way, my girlfriend, Julie could not believe, uh, that, that chainsaw warning about not using your genitals to chop the chainsaw. <laughs> I mean, she was like, you know, what? some people <laughs> are very proud of their genitals yeah. <laughs> and think they can do anything. My genitals can stop a chainsaw. <laughs> And no, got to bring no. that warning's got to bring them back down to That's earth. Right. So we, we, we're going to get into <laughs> dumb warnings and dumb people and all that stuff because there's an overabundance of that. But I, I thought, you know, since, um, you know, Christmas is just a couple of days away um, that we could talk about some of the best Christmas uh, TV specials of all time or best episodes of, of, of shows. And then I wanted mm-hmm. to get your favorite mm-hmm. Christmas movies. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be like, you know, the traditional Christmas movies. They could be any kind. Do you have uh, favorite Christmas movies or movies that take place at Christmas, or are there movies that you or you and your family watch during the during the holiday season at all? Yeah, um, we always, you know, because it's well, one, it's on twenty four hours. Uh, Christmas story is the Christmas story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's a classic. It's a great one. Do you have yeah. a favorite? Do you have a favorite? Slap that one on. Do you have a favorite scene in that? On. Do you have a favorite scene or a favorite part of that movie that that? Uh, that, um, that, that well, one you? of my one, I enjoy the part where he kind of goes crazy on that kid. Yeah. Yeah, Scott Farkas. When he freaks out, yeah, yeah. he freaks out and just starts punching. <laughs> yeah. And he's, because and it's he, like that little boy has had enough. He's, he's had it, man. He's had it, and uh, and all the and and all the filth and flarn that's coming out of his mouth. You know, I mean, in the movie you don't hear yeah. him swearing, but like that's the thing. That's a you know. Uh, now, yeah, that, I I got to tell you, I remember when that movie came out. It came out the year you were born, Esmeralda. <clears throat> uh, it came out in nineteen eighty three, and I remember seeing it in the theater with my much older McDonald's ma- uh, manager girlfriend, <laughs> girlfriend mm, mm-hmm. which I know that you always like when I mention. When I yeah. Mention. <laughs> but we went to see it in the theater, and, and nobody was in the theater. And when it came out, I remember when it came what, out. I was like, when did it come out? Nineteen eighty three, November, like na- late November. It was the oh, holiday okay. season. So it's, yeah, no, okay. it was. It came out at an appropriate time, and it was like na- late November. It was right at the beginning of the holiday season in nineteen eighty three. It came out, um, got a major release, and my girlfriend and I went to see it. And there were like seven people in the theater, and we walked out and went, "Oh my god, that's so great! It's so entertaining! It's so mm-hmm. hilarious!" And it bombed. It bombed at the box office. And uh, and then, of course, you know, obviously now, 40 years later, and this is the 40th anniversary this year, 40th anniversary of, uh, of, uh, of a Christmas, uh, Christmas story. Um, but now, of course, it's a classic, and it's on for, I don't know how many years. It's 15, 20 years it's been running on TBS and yeah. TNT 24 hours. Although but, I guess, I don't know, have, are people more, I feel like every year people get more and more christmas they do yeah because like even now people like it halloween is over and they're immediately like christmas yeah yeah (laughs) no i mean that and you're right you're absolutely right i mean christmas starts earlier every single year it's absurd Mm -hmm. it's really absurd Mm -hmm. it's like there are still like i remember going into the walgreens across the street when they had when they put out you know they, they just put out the halloween candy and then there yeah. was a little section in the seasonal aisle that was already dedicated to little mini Christmas trees and stuff. And I'm like, for Christ's sake, it's only like October 8th. And yeah. So. And some people that is too late. Yeah, people love it. <laughs> people love it. I don't quite understand it. But yeah, but Christmas Story, another movie. And you know, It's a Wonderful Life bomb too when it came out, when it was originally released. Mm-hmm. And it got and terrible. Everywhere, everywhere, yeah. in yeah, I, every form. <laughs> and I think it's widely considered. If we, if I guess if we were to do a poll, I think it's widely considered to be probably the universal favorite Christmas movie of all time. I think would be It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah, um, I could see that. Yeah, and it bombed, and it almost like when it when it came out, Frank Cap. They were saying that Frank Capra's you know career was over. That Jimmy Stewart another because Jimmy Stewart I think had a bomb right before that. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, it got ripped apart by the critics because they thought it was so depressing and so dark. And it is. <laughs> I mean, it opens up with a guy who wants to kill himself. I mean, that's that's the opening, that's the opening yeah. of the movie. Um, so, but I remember that bombed as well. Christmas Story bombed as well. And then now they're all everything. They're, they're all classics. So, but Christmas Story, any other ones that you particularly like that, that happen at Christmas or anything like that? Um, I would have to say... Um, I, you know, I enjoy Scrooged. Yes, with um, with Bill Murray. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is gr- a funny. It's like a Christmas Halloween movie. <laughs> it is. It's like it's. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a twist. It has obviously. for some reason to me like this weird Halloween esque feel. 
Yeah. But it's a Christmas movie. It is. And it's a weird take on, you know, uh, uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I I like all the stuff where I like all the stuff where Bill Murray is mean at the beginning. That's my favorite stuff in the movie. Like when he <laughs> when he wants where he's to he's a screw. Yeah, where he wants to staple the antlers onto the mouse. Remember that? There's a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also like the uh, oh shit. You might have to look this up, Esmeralda. The name of the when because they were because the the, the 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 TV network that he runs. He's like a ruthless Scrooge TV network mm-hmm. guy. They're running a movie with Lee Majors, like it's called, like the 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 night the reindeer died or something like that, and it's like he's, oh, and he's the he's he's Santa, like Santa, right? right? And he's got a machine gun, he's fucking killing people and stuff. Yeah, um, it's like the night the he's reindeer getting, died. He's yeah. getting his like revenge, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. yeah, Santa Claus and um. Mrs. Claus are both. Yeah, and they bu- and they like, bust out like heavy heavy artillery and stuff, and you know, yeah, they that, have the old gun. Scrooge came out in the eighties, and at that time, like late eighties, and that, that that was at the time when all the Rambo movies and the you know the, all the big shoot 'em up movies, the Stallone and Schwarzenegger, and all those movies were coming out where everybody had a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, but I remember that. I remember loving really that all that stuff. Uh, and and Carol Kane is like the one of the ghosts that punches him all the time. Like she shows up and just keeps punching Bill Murray. <laughs> yes, she's one of the best. She's one of the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, what's his name from the from um, New York Dolls? Uh, Buster Poindexter, uh, David Johansson. Yes, he's the cab driver. So good. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Scrooge is uh, Scrooge is a good one, and that makes sense. It, it, knowing you, Esmeralda, it makes sense that you like that one. That totally, that <laughs> totally makes sense. Um, my favorite Christmas movie of all time. I think we've talked about this in the past. Is the Ref? Mm-hmm. Um, it's my favorite. I it, I I just I love that movie. I watch it every Christmas. Um, and for people who don't know it, Dennis Leary plays a cat burglar who. Um, an alarm he sets off an alarm and has to kidnap a family and hide with the family until the cops stop searching for him in this small town and he just happens to kidnap the most dysfunctional family on christmas eve you could possibly imagine um and it's uh kevin spacey and and uh, and judy davis um i just everything about that movie is accurate about, <laughs> about <laughs> <laughs> um so do you are you a fan of the ref yeah, um, I've you know I haven't watched it in a while, but mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Now, have you ever heard of the Ice Harvest? Um, yes. Is Christina Ricci in it? No, that's the Ice Storm. That's the ah, Ice Storm. Okay. The, I, yeah, the Ice Storm. <laughs> no, that's the one that actually was nominated for Academy Awards. That one takes place on Thanksgiving. That's a <laughs> that's ah okay. And that's a very <laughs> fucked up dark. It's a very fucked up dark movie about like the twisted uh, era of families during the holidays in the seventies. And Ang Lee directed mm-hmm. it. It's a fantastic movie. No, but the Ice Harvest is a movie that about six people have seen. Harold Ramis directed it, and I think it's the best thing he ever directed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack, and they play a. a uh, a pair of guys of uh, like lawyers, but who are you know who work in the uh, who work you know with the with the mafia, and they steal mm-hmm. they steal a shitload of money from the underworld boss played by Randy Quaid, but they can't get the money out of this town in Wichita Falls because of an ice storm that has shut everything. Oh, down. yeah, 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 yeah. It's very and and, and uh, um. Why am I blanking on his name? Um, uh, shit. From, uh, oh my God. Uh, he's in Flatliner. Of course, Flatliner is the first thing that pops into my head. Uh, he's he's in one of the Chicago shows. Uh, Oliver um, 
Platt. You know Oliver Platt, right? Yes, yes, yes. He plays the drunken lawyer in it, um, and it's it's it is absolutely it was it was shot you know in Illinois where there's, there's a lot of local actors uh, that are in it, and and um, it's great. If you've not seen it, I think it's the best performance that John Cusack has ever given, and it's it's mm-hmm. like it's very dark and very twisted, and um, and it's it's like maybe my second favorite Christmas movie of all time, but it's very very difficult to find. I mean, it's out there. I mean, I think it's streaming, but. Yeah, but the ice harvest. It's it's not your typical hey everybody Merry Christmas kind of kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> um but but I like that one. So Ice Harvest and the Ref, those are up there pretty high on my list. Christmas story, uh for, do, do you like any of the classics? I mean, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Scrooge. What about some of the anything else that you guys that you like? Um not really. We're not no. um Christmas story kind of just stays on my brother. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> leaves it on. Sure, especially that it is now twenty four hours. Yeah, um, it's easy. It's easy. You just turn just, it on. It'll and just you, be on. Yeah. yeah. Now you now you know. I can't remember what channel, uh, uh, what other channel does it, but a lot of these sort of like, um, you know, your basic twenty four hour cable channels. A lot of them are trying to yeah do something. Now, now there's yeah. a, th- there's a channel. T- there's another channel. I don't know which one it is. It could be USA or something like that. That shows Elf, the uh, the Will ah. Ferrell. They show Elf twenty four hours. Um. And I don't know. How do you feel about Elf? Are you a fan of Elf? Yeah, I mean that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not. I didn't you know, really. I didn't get into it like that. Yeah, how people. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I like it. You know, I like Will Ferrell. It's not. I wouldn't. That's not my favorite. My. I would. You know, if I'm going to pick a Will Ferrell movie, it's the other guys with him and Mark Wahlberg. I still think that's the funniest movie yeah. he's ever made. <laughs> that's not a Christmas movie though. Um, but um, yeah. All right. How about Black Christmas? Have you ever seen Black Christmas from 1974? No. It is with Margot Kidder, one of her early movies before she became Lois Lane, and Andrea, Mar- uh, Andrea Martin before she- SCTV, um, mm-hmm. Olivia Hussey, who played um, Romeo and Juliet. She played Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, the classic uh, mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a, it's, it, that is the movie that originated this is, the, this is the movie that originated the call is coming from inside the house thing. You know, mm-hmm. in horror, okay. yeah, you know, yeah. in horror movies when you're like, you get, you know, the, oh, like in When a Stranger Calls, like, oh, we've traced the calls mm-hmm. coming from inside the house. Black Christmas was the first movie to ever do the whole, like, the call is coming from inside the house thing. Oh. And it's about a crazy killer who climbs up the uh, the side of a, of a sorority house and starts killing sorority girls during Christmas. That's oh, boy. <laughs> now, here's the <laughs> kicker. Are you ready for the kicker, Esmeralda? What's that? It is directed by the same guy who directed A Christmas Story. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> same well, guy. you know, people have varied uh, tastes and yeah. things, so they can, same you can do guy. both. <laughs> same guy. He's directed, as far as I'm concerned, he's directed two of the greatest and classic Christmas movies of all time. They could not be more different. <laughs> One is a really scary slasher movie about sorority girls getting killed, and the other is a lovely movie that gets played 24 hours a day on Christmas Eve. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere somebody is wanting to do yeah. uh, Black Christmas 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Now, they've remade Black Christmas twice uh, mm. for, for no particular reason. So, um, yeah. Anyway. But Black Christmas is uh, is up there for me. Um, and it, it, it's, it is, it's, it's a really creepy, really, really creepy, very, very, very scary movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So if you want to check that one off, you're in the mood for that. Now, are you one of those people, uh, we've, we know this is a discussion that happens, uh, not just a uh, year round, I mean, year round. Um, uh, but are you one of those people, do you think Die Hard is a Christmas movie? That's become like a thing now. 
You know what I mean? You, you, you know, over the, over the, I'm sure you've noticed this, like over the past 10 years or so. Oh, yeah. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, yes or no? I guess. Um, mm. I mean, people qualify it just because it happens around Christmas, right? It happens on, yeah, it happens. Um, yeah, I, so like in the movie, I, as long as there yeah. is Christmas in the movie, people are like, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. I'm, I, you know, uh, it happens on Christmas Eve, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and so does the second one. So does Die Hard Two. Die Hard Two takes place on Christmas yeah. Eve as well. Which to uh, me, that's a weird. That's a weird day to have your holiday work party. Yeah, maybe maybe Christmas the first. Eve? I, I, I now see. I don't know. I, I I have to say this. I mean, I've seen Die Hard a million times, but I got to say that I don't know it by heart like so many other people because I know people who who have seen that movie, you know, countless times, and I. Yeah, maybe it doesn't take place on Christmas Eve, but I know the second one does. I know that I know that the second one, which I prefer, and I know I'm alone on that. But I, I I like Die Hard two more than Die Hard, and I know that that's sacrilege to most people. But that one, I Christmas Eve. It's a yeah that oh it does yeah okay so Die Hard is Christmas Eve then right? Which is weird. It is weird, right? To have a (laughs) in general, like I'm I'm your boss. We're having a party Christmas Eve. Yeah, leave your family. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, very weird. Do you remember? Do you, so you, do you remember the first time you saw Die Hard? Was that was it? Was it? A, did you see it in the movie theater or anything like that? Or no, you were way too young. No, yeah. I saw yeah. it on TV. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you? You're, so what about the second one? Do you, do you like the second one? Um, is that the one where he flies? He's at the airport. Yeah, it all takes place at Dulles Airport. In in, in yeah, uh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, um, so. it's fine. I have I've never really gotten into the Die Hard movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's only like, a few years ago did I actually see all of them. Yeah, you don't have to see all of them because a lot of them are shit. The you know, um, like the first one. I think the first one and the second one are great, like great, and I love the second one the most. The third one, not mm-hmm. very good, and then the rest of them they all suck. The other ones they're just and they get worse. Like there's the die, and they all have, and then the titles keep getting dumber. Like Die Hard, Die Hard, they're Die Hard, a, a Good Day to Die Hard is one is, is one of them is called. <laughs> I think if you look up the names, because because like the the first one is Die Hard, the second one is Die Hard Two, but a lot of people make the mistake of calling it Die Harder. Ah, uh, no, which is which is not yeah. the title of the movie. Die it Hard was Two. It's just Die Hard Two. <laughs> then the third one is Die Hard with a with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is I don't know what the but I, I think the last one is live, live free or die hard. And then the th- then the last one is die die hard or oh shit. There's, uh, there's a good day to die hard. Oh, there it is, right? <laughs> live free or die yeah, hard or yeah, good yeah. day to die hard. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here with that shit. <laughs> and that's the one with um. Doesn't he he flies into a or it's the other the the one before it where he flies into a hol- helicopter in a car uh flies into a helicopter in a car no i don't know if that's a no he flies in he like drives a car into a helicopter yes i think you might be okay esmeralda i think you might be thinking of one of the four thousand fast furious things no because it was no it was him it's okay. uh, Bruce Willis. Okay. Well, maybe it's I one of the ones. Going, that... What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's um, live free or die hard. Okay. I. Uh... <laughs> okay. Because Justin Long is in it. Oh, okay. I yes. Remember, okay. I remember that was in the, I think in the trailer where he hits a helicopter and he is in a car 
Like he okay. flies the car into the helicopter because <laughs> you know, because that's very realistic. The helicopter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, because that can. Who happen. doesn't do that all the time? Yeah, I've done. <laughs> I just did that last week. I don't know about you, but uh, all right. So the Die Hard movie. Well, at least the first two, I guess, are Christmas movies. Okay. Um, uh, what about Christmas? Do you remember Christmas uh, episodes of TV shows? Do you have some favorites? Uh, or any of the TV um, specials? Specific, specific did you watch episodes? Did yeah. you watch? Did you watch that? You know, like the Santa Claus is coming to town and all those animated things when you were a kid. And, oh you know, yeah, those reindeers. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. The um, Rankin Bass, the Heat Miser, and yep. all those. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's quite a world of Christmas people. There are that they've there made are. back in the day. <laughs> they did, and now you know we got the new stuff. Like now, all this Frozen shit with the Olaf and all that, that Olaf Jagoff and all his friends. Those are all like Christmas. Uh, specials now brand new christmas specials. yeah oh i mean yeah they're good immediately they're in snow so yeah. that's taken care of yeah exactly that's half the battle <laughs> right that's half the battle that's yeah. all you need oh that's yeah. all you need for something to be christmas like yeah is there's snow oh by the way um have you ever seen kiss kiss bang bang uh yeah. yeah yeah okay that's a great christmas movie as far as i'm concerned uh <laughs> with uh, robert downey jr and val kilmer um Ooh. it all takes all takes place during christmas and and shane black who wrote and directed that movie he also wrote uh, a lot of he's written a lot of movies that take place during christmas like inappropriate action like Le- Le- lethal weapon takes place during christmas some people say that that's a christmas movie um and a lot of the stuff that uh, that shane black has written takes place during christmas but i i i like mm-hmm. kiss kiss bang bang i watch chris i watch kiss kiss bang bang during christmas uh during the christmas season so i don't know but there are specific like episodes. Like I'm looking at this uh, this article where they have specific episodes. Like Friends has a uh, an episode where um, someone's dressed up like an armadillo. You know that one? Uh, I do not. Okay, I'm not, not a friend. I'm not. A, I'm not what? a friends person. Okay. Yeah. Uh, David Schwimmer, I guess, is dressed up like an armadillo. Uh, and then the office uh, has their Christmas party. Uh, the Christmas, the office Christmas party episodes. There's about five of those or six of those. And those are always pretty fun. Right. Uh, they mentioned the Ted Lasso Christmas mm-hmm. uh, episode from season two. Um, Gilmore Girls. There, you know, there are a bunch of them. Uh, oh, of course. Christmas I mean, how many episodes. seasons was there? Gilmore Girls was five seasons. So there. Yeah, so, they have to have a yeah. Christmas every. I mean, there's yeah. Christmas every year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, some people say that the Doctor Who episode from 2010, A Christmas Carol, is supposed to be one of the greatest Christmas episodes of all time. Yeah. Well, they have, so in, like in England, they do that whole, that whole special thing of like, oh, there's the Christmas episode of whatever that we must watch. Yeah. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. Yeah. 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 Like they'll yeah. always have like some whatever show do a Christmas episode and right. they always play it. Yeah. Like what, Christmas Day or I believe, or Christmas a, Eve or something. Yeah, you're but right. But it's like a big, it's a huge thing over in England. Like, they'll have that where it's like, the Christmas episode. And it's right. like, oh, God, all right. Everybody stop what you're doing. Stop. <laughs> yeah. St- stop Big Ben. Let's watch. That's, that's <laughs> Stop Big Ben. Yeah, just let's let's watch. Um, <laughs> I, One of my favorites of all time is uh, the Honeymooners Christmas episode. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of my favorite. It's like the gift of the Mag. It's like a. It's sort of a takeoff on the gift of the Magi. Um, and I, it's very, very funny, and it's lovely. And I and the Honeymooners was only technically only on one, one season. Um, it mm-hmm. was a part. It was a part of the Jackie Gleason show. You know, as a sketch for many, many, yeah. many, many years, and they had lost episodes because of that. But the actual classic thirty-nine episodes is only one season of television, so there's only one 
uh, Christmas episode, and it's it's a it's great. It's one of my favorite Christmas episodes uh, of all time. Um, it's always sunny. Has always you know like twisted Christmas <laughs> episodes that that gets mentioned here. Um, uh, I don't remember the lost Christmas episode. Did you what? Were you one of those people who got into Lost? Like, hey, no, yeah, I remember? did not get into Lost because you couldn't. I mean, if you didn't watch it from the beginning, you were kind of lost. You were lost, Tom. Oh, see, wait, hold on a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Wait a second. There it is. There it is. There it is. Oh, yeah. Who cares? There you go. Well, because, you know, at the time, it's you couldn't watch it yeah anywhere no. like if you missed the episode when it was on you're screwed yeah unless you unless and, you had a dvr but it wasn't like you it yeah. wasn't streaming you had to watch it that night yeah and yeah. that that show became a cultural like it was must see tv and uh mm-hmm. but i don't remember i stopped watching it i stopped watching it i don't know i think it was like in season two like like midway through season two i'm like all right i'm fucking done with this i i yeah, I pr- I probably watched like an an episode. And, yeah, and didn't have no idea what was happening. Now, how about this one? Here's one. Maybe you watched this one. Did you watch Community when it was uh, when it was on? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. Sh- I loved that show. Do you remember when Op-Ed had the uncontrollable Christmas where it was animated, where everybody was like like the ranking? Yeah, ass? he was like ha- not hallucinating, but yeah, like I think he was <laughs> like hallucinating. <laughs> yeah. He was, yeah. I remember that one. I loved that episode. I mean, that, but you know, the Community was a great show. Community was that that show for a stretch was like one of the best shows on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. good, in fact, that Chevy Chase was fucking funny as an old man on it, you know. And he hadn't been funny <laughs> since 1978, you know. Ooh, yeah. How about how about Seinfeld Festivus? Of course. Yeah. Now that I that mean, episode who is does actually it, who doesn't now celebrate Festivus? I know and, it's December twenty third. Yeah. It's uh, in fact uh, what is today? Today's the twenty second. It's tomorrow. Festivus is tomorrow. Yeah. Festivus is tomorrow. We air our grievances. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the feats of strength. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you got to get the aluminum pole. You got to get the Christmas, the Festivus aluminum pole. Yeah. Put that yeah. up. Yeah. But that episode, a lot of people think it's called Festivus. That episode is actually called the Strike, because it's the same episode where, um. Kramer goes back to work at the bagel place, but then goes on strike. Remember this? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's standing out in front. No bagel, no bagel, no bagel, no bagel. He's standing out in front. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great one. Um, now, you know that I'm obsessed with uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. You know that I love that show. Right. On for two seasons. And by the way, Esmeralda, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jane Levy is coming to flashback in August. Nice. I, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. It's going to be ridiculous because she was in Don't Breathe and she was in Evil Dead, the remake, and she's done a lot of scary stuff. But like, and I'm doing her, I'm obviously doing her. I'm, I'm <laughs> You're going to be like, okay, let's talk about yep. this. <laughs> yep. I, and, you know, and I'm doing her Q&A and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing her panel, as you know, I, of course. And I hope the audience enjoys a ton of questions about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get it. But they did a Christmas movie. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist did a Christmas movie, and it was exclusively for Roku. And I mm-hmm. think now, I think now it streams on a whole bunch of different channels. But uh, it's great. It's lovely. It was from two years ago, um, and it was kind of the wrap up because that show got unceremoniously canceled after two seasons. Mm-hmm. So they kind of left, you know, the last episode kind of left things open. So they did the Christmas movie special to wrap things up. So if you're a fan, if fans of that show are out there. Uh, the Christmas movie from a couple of years ago is terrific, and that's uh, Zoe's extraordinary playlist. The Christmas movie. So, well, were I'm you? Sure a- she'll 
she'll appreciate it yeah. when you speak to her about it. She's I, probably yeah. going to be like, what? Yeah, she's going to be, huh? You're, we're at a horror convention. I'm like, I don't give a shit. We're going to talk about episode, We're going to talk about the season finale of, <laughs> of, of season one of, of Zoe because I never cried harder at anything in my life. So we're going to talk about that right now. But, but anyway, <laughs> and I'm sure the crowd will be like, get off the stage, jag off, and let her it's talk about evil. It's going to be spooky. It'll be scary. It'll be scary to talk about it. Maybe, maybe actually, Esmeralda, maybe that she will be on the podcast with us because you know how oh. – you know, the last couple of last couple of times we've done the podcast, we've had live guests up on stage. We had PJ Souls from Halloween, and then just this past, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this past uh, flashback, we had the guys from Christine. So yeah. maybe, maybe Jane Levy will be on our guest on the podcast. And so that would be fun. It would be awesome. So now, are you a Will and Grace fan? Um, I was. Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, I was uh, like high school about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I was understanding everything that was yeah. happening well, fully. Yeah, you, you, I gotcha. I totally understand. <laughs> like you're not getting like, all of the, yeah, I gotcha. I totally, understand. I would get with, like, I kind I understood right. what was happening. I, yeah. It was funny, but I'm, right, right. But I'm, things were flying over my yeah. head. That <laughs> I, I understand. I totally understand. Well, they have one I'm looking at cause I watched Will and Grace periodically. It wasn't a show that I watched all the time. And I got to say, I liked it when I watched it, but I, I wasn't a fan of Will and Grace. I was a fan of Jack and, uh, and the other, and I was a fan of Megan Mullally and, and Sean Hayes. Yeah. They oh, were yeah, great. They should have. They I'm were amazed they did not get a spinoff. Oh my God. They were so, they were the best part of the show. Um, so I loved them and I love Sean Hayes. I think Sean Hayes, I got to say this. I think Sean Hayes is one of the most singularly talented people on the planet. Um, cause he's, he can sing, he can dance, he can do drama, he can do comedy. I think, I think Sean Hayes is literally one of the most talented people. I love him. I think he is one of the most incredibly talented people in the world. And, um, always been a fan of him always but they have an episode called jingle balls <laughs> of course yeah i immediately <laughs> i immediately like that that was from season four episode 12 i don't know where that falls in but they but according to this list it's one of the best christmas episodes of all time will and grace jingle balls so <laughs> um were you a buffy fan um you know i wasn't growing mm-hmm. up but i did some years back sit down and watch all of Buffy. Yeah. Um I watched what? a or I went to a live they did an episode of the the musical one. Oh it yeah. It was at a theater. Oh cool. And they did it live. And I was like, well now I must watch all of Buffy. I gotcha. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah. then yeah, I sat down and watched all of all this the whole series. Well, they have a, apparently the episode that you've seen it, but you probably, you probably don't remember. It's called it's from season three, and it's called Amends, and it's the only Christmas show ever. Um, and uh, Angel plans to kill himself by standing outside when the sun rises, and that turns into one of the most touching scenes where when uh, the sun is blocked by snowfall, and he and Buffy take a daytime walk. Uh, through Sunnydale together for the very first time, and that's on Christmas. Oh, oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Buffy was. Um, it had its like it was sweet in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like it's just always it's a very messed up show in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like with the carrot with the vampires and and like everybody's. I don't know. Everyone's got a lot of trauma. 
right. that they deal with right. <laughs> in their own special ways. <laughs> now, did you did you ever watch uh, Angel, the spinoff? Did you did you watch that at all, or just or just? Buffy? I remember I remember when it was on, but I never watched it, and I did mm. not take on watching Angel. I think at a certain point I was contemplating watching the spinoffs because I think was it just Angel, or did they do? I think there might have been one more. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I remember Angel for sure. There might have been one more. Maybe I'm, I'm blanking on it. But um, yeah, I feel like he had something. Yeah. Or there was something. There might have been another one. Um, um, but yeah. But yeah. But Buffy. So they say that that episode is the only Christmas episode is is lovely that they say. Now, how about do you watch? Did you oh. watch? What were you gonna say? No, I was just uh, oh oh okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so you ever watch? Do you watch the Bear? The the that show that takes place here about the beef no show. i watched one episode and then i kind of i couldn't get into it yeah i'm not a fan it was I, it was it was weird i'm not I just, i'm not a fan there was just things that were happening on it where i'm like that wouldn't that's right. not a real thing yeah. but okay <laughs> yeah and it's not and it's just so inauthentic in terms of chicago it's ridiculous so i've had issues with it always and that's what a lot of like show i'm just like mm. yeah they make yeah. me feel uncomfortable <laughs> I know. I watch it and I'm like, that's not Chicago. This is bullshit. And then I immediately got turned off. Um, so, but I, I did go back and watch a little bit of the second season to try and, and get into it. And I couldn't, I just couldn't, but I did watch the dysfunctional Christmas episode, uh, because Jamie Lee Curtis is on it and Sarah Paulson. Mm, Like, mm -hmm. so I watched that and they have this listed as, as the most recent, uh, really great Christmas episode. It's called fishes and it's season two, episode six of the bear. Um, and it's all family trauma and it's really intense. Uh, he goes to a family dinner and it's based on the feast of the seven fishes. Yeah. Uh, so you got Jamie Lee Curtis, Sarah Paulson, John Mulaney, Bob Odenkirk, Gillian Jacobs are all on it. And Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing in it. Uh, like really amazing. You know, like this was like during that incredible year she had last year when it came out because like, you know, she won the mm -hmm. Academy Award for everything everywhere all at once and all that stuff. So it was a big year for my for my teenage crush Jamie Lee. So that's why I watched it. Yeah. And you know, as a standalone, it was pretty it was pretty impressive because the intensity of the acting is pretty good, and you got an incredible cast. But when it was yeah. all over, yeah. I still didn't give a shit about this Jeremy Allen White guy, the the, the, lead, the, <laughs> the main guy. I just don't care. I just don't care. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. So uh, and then the and then of course the classic Christmas specials. I used to. I did, now are you a fan of the Grinch? Oh, of course. Yeah. And I keep, uh, it's funny, like, I keep seeing things online that, uh, you know, you get older, you start to actually understand the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I will I live alone with my dog up here. Yeah. Uh, you're, you guys all suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they yeah, are no. the worst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, though. I will say this, that even as a little kid, I, I enjoyed the Grinch. Like, I identified with the Grinch. Even as a little kid, I'm like, yeah, I like him. <laughs> I, you know? Yeah, steal the trees and, you know, and all that stuff. And, I th and you know, so. But I hated the Ron Howard movie, the one with Jim Carrey. I hated it. I mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. terrible. That was terrible. But, yeah. And uh, have you seen, by the way, have you seen the recipes where you can turn your guacamole uh, you can turn him into turn it into the Grinch. Like how just did, how you just what? You, you take your guacamole <laughs> and you slap it mm -hmm. onto the table and then you make it Grinch shaped and you put olives for eyes and and <laughs> and right. eyes and you can make a face <laughs> and you can have Grinch guacamole. 
So if you if you yeah. were actually if you Googled Grinch guacamole, um, yeah. that's a good thing. If you wanna if you wanna just have you know guacamole surround you know put your put the put the chips or whatever around the Grinch and then make a little red mm-hmm. hat for him out of peppers. Interesting. You know? All yeah. right. But if you Google if you Google Grinch guacamole, that's the fun holiday presentation for your guacamole. Sure. Make him, look, make him look like the Grinch. Yep. That's exactly. So I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Keep that in mind for keep that in mind for Monday. So uh, when you bust out the because you know uh, you know you know you do, do you, I, I'm assuming you know uh, you have I'm, I'm assuming you guys have great guacamole in your in your in your you guys can make some great guacamole in your in in the past right. Uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so uh, now it can be look it can look like the Grinch, <laughs> so it'll be pissed off guacamole. Here's your pissed off guacamole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all right. Um, well, I will be watching uh, on. Uh, well, everything's kind of up in the air. I don't know what the hell I'm going to be <laughs> doing this year on Christmas Eve, uh, but something will be happening, and at some point I would enjoy watching the ref. That's the one movie that I always want to watch and at some point i'm going to mm-hmm. carve out an hour and 40 movies only an hour and 45 minutes long so i'm going to carve out an hour and 45 oh, there you go. i don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning just to rest from all the madness that's happening and watch the ref so that's what i'll, mm-hmm. I'll be doing mm-hmm. so i hope you have a fantastic uh holiday on monday oh thank you and the next time we talk it'll be the day after christmas magically Yes. I mean, it's not like we're going to record it right after we stop this one and, you know, to record it, you know, no. in, in about what? 10 minutes. No. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> we're, we're actually going to be talking on the day after Christmas, not in 10 minutes. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, mm-hmm. my thanks to my thanks to Eric Childress uh, and Steve uh, Procopi for wrapping up the, uh, the new movies to talk about for 2023. We will do the best of the next time they're on. In fact, the next time that uh, we're together uh, on Tuesday, Dan Feinberg is going to join me. And we'll, you know, it's the, you know, the end of the year, the beginning of the new year. And we do the best of all kinds of stuff. We'll be doing the best of food, the best of sports, the best of wrestling, all that stuff. Well, the best of TV will be on the next episode uh, with Dan Feinberg. And that's coming up. So my thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the music and the sound and the themes. My thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. You want to be a sponsor on this podcast? Lots of people listen. You should do that. Write us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Leave your voicemail message, uh, your megaphone message, any of that stuff. 773-417-6948. Email us at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Esmeralda. You rule. Aw, thank you. All right. And everybody have a fantastic and joyous Christmas, and we will talk to you the day after Christmas for episode 205 of the Nick D Podcast. Thanks, everybody. The wind is red on me.